Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 14, verse number 3. Mark 14 and verse 3. We want to talk about that place near to the heart of God. I think Mary found it. <clears throat> Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary was the one that sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha was cumbered about with many things. And Mary has chosen the place to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's not what this passage of Scripture is about, but that's a background to this. Now, in Mark 14, verse 3, and through verse 9, Mary is not mentioned. We don't get the idea that it's Mary until we turn to the Gospel of John, which we'll do here in a moment. Let me read these couple of verses, Mark 14, 3 through 9. And being in Bethany, Bethany was the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but in the house of Simon the leper, some suggest that Simon the leper was Martha's husband. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that. As he sat at meat, there came a woman, unnamed in this passage, and also unnamed in Matthew chapter 26. A woman uh, having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? Matthew and Mark do not list that it was Judas Iscariot that was upset about that. John says that. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial. Now let's turn to John's gospel, John chapter 12. And read this incident, assuming that it's the same incident. Well, I believe it is. And John gives us a little bit more details. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. Now, it depends on when you count the Passover. Was it Thursday? Was it Friday? What day was it? Six days before this. So does this put this on Friday before Palm Sunday or Saturday? Depends on when you put Passover Six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. And Bethany was that place where Jesus probably stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's our guess. 
and Bethany's just outside of Jerusalem, and so he traveled in and out of Jerusalem during these last couple of days before the crucifixion. And so John, of course, is the one in the previous chapter, John chapter 11, that talks about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So John makes mention of that in verse 1, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And according to Matthew and Mark, it was in Simon the leper's house. And Martha served. This is one of the reasons why they think Martha was perhaps Simon the leper's uh, wife. Simon the leper may have been one that he healed. Again, we don't have all those details. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary, and here she's named, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, so Judas is named here, Simon's son, which would betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor. There you have a little bit of the heart of Judas Iscariot. But because he was the thief and had the bag, the treasure, and uh, bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying. Hath she kept this? For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So we get a little different picture here in the Gospel of John that are, uh, than what is presented in Matthew and Mark. Again, Matthew and Mark do not list Mary. But we're going to assume that Mary, so I'll refer to her as Mary, this woman that uh, anointed the, uh, the head and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, using Mark as our text, we want to look at the love of Mary, the devotion of Mary. And I I entitled the message in the bulletin, The Servant and His Alabaster Box. What is it that is precious to you? This was precious ointment. So Mary's probably taking something that is very precious to her and giving it to the Lord. What is precious to you? Give it to the Lord. So we could really call this the servant and his devotion. I think I had another one in the series uh, called that, uh, the servant and his devotion. But we're going to look at Mary as a servant of the Lord and her devotion, her love for the Lord. Her love was selfless and costly. Selfless and costly. She wasn't concerned about herself. I think we get that impression from Matthew and Mark's rendition of this where she's unnamed. And we don't really have Martha uh, and Lazarus listed either in the uh, Matthew and the Mark account. We're zeroing in on Simon the leper's house, where Jesus was. So she's not trying to draw attention to herself by doing this. That's the attitude of a servant. When we serve the Lord, we do it for the Lord's sake, not so that we can get accolades from uh, other people. So it's selfless. And in her case, it was costly. I don't know that we need to get from this that we need to buy something expensive and give it to the Lord or take the most expensive thing we have in our home and sell it and give the money to the Lord. But the concept is you give to the Lord what is precious to you instead of the leftovers or what you don't want, your garage sale items, 
you give to the Lord what is precious. So her love was selfless and costly. Now, if this is Mary, and, and she, again, she's in Simon the leper's home. Is it her sister-in-law's home? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would not have been servants in the home. Typically, in the dry, dusty territory where they live, a servant would wash the feet and anoint a person's head and the feet. But Mary is doing this herself. Again, she's taking the attitude and assuming the position of a servant. We find her earlier in John's Gospel, John 3, or John, I guess it's not John 11, wherever the story is about Mary and Martha, and Martha was cumbered about with many things, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, that humble position, and that's where we need to be. So she's not a servant, but she's assuming the position of a servant. And, you know, some of us may think in our Christian experience, well, I'm above that. I'm beyond being a servant. No, we're never beyond being a servant. The servant's attitude, the servant's heart, it's one of the things we've been trying to bring out as we study the Gospel of Mark. It's something that needs to be maintained till your dying day. It doesn't matter how high you get in your financial status or your education or your experience or what degrees or awards or whatever you might have and earn. Be a servant. Be a humble servant. Serve the Lord. So she's doing this herself, and then she's giving what is most precious to her. This ointment, this very costly ointment. An alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And of course she break it and poured it on his head. And then John's Gospel tells us that she also poured it on his feet and then used her own hair to wipe his feet. So she is the one being the servant. Now, when you serve the Lord, what happens when you serve the Lord? When you assume the position of a servant and do things, oh, he's just doing that to show. Oh, she's just doing that to show off. I don't know why they did that. People say that for a number of reasons. One, we're jealous that we didn't have the servant attitude. I should have thought of that myself. Or we don't want to be a servant, and so we criticize people. But that's the tendency. When people serve the Lord the way they're supposed to, others criticize them. Judas Iscariot, we mentioned him in John's Gospel, but here in Mark, it says, verse 4, there were some that had indignation within themselves. So it's evidently more than Judas. Maybe Judas is the ringleader. And he's stirring some folks up to say, hey, this lady, you know, hey, what is she doing? You know, and then it just goes around uh, in how that works. So, we also find, not only was Mary's love selfless and costly, Mary's love was questioned and murmured against. Questioned and murmured against. The indignation, the word indignation there, has the idea of aching, uh, of vexation of spirit, that sort of thing. And uh, within themselves, indignation within themselves kind of has the idea of of murmuring, and then down in verse 5 it also says that, and they murmured against her. The murmuring is the the growling, rebuking, scolding. So there is some questioning and murmuring against this activity. Now what they're doing, normally when the servant would uh, anoint somebody's head, he would use the Walmart brand of ointment, not the spikenard, you know, the generic brand. 
inexpensive, and so no big deal. It was a common thing. They were upset not because Mary anointed Jesus' head, but that she used expensive ointment to do it. Whereas she could have used the generic brand and sold this expensive and given the money to the poor. So it seemed too valuable, too priceless. Don't people do that when people serve the Lord? They decide to give something to the Lord. And Oh, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I would have done something else. They thought this was unnecessary. This was thoughtless on her behalf. Misplaced values. Wasted goods. You know, again, you could have used the generic brand and, and uh, used that money elsewise. Too costly. Too sacrificial. Foolish and a senseless act. Those are probably some of the things that are going as they're murmuring amongst themselves and uh, had some indignation. There always seems to be those who question a believer's love and uh, sacrifice when it is exercised. Those who murmur and complain about things. Where are your values placed? What is your value placed on money? There's really a commitment here on Mary's part that I think is lacking in many of our lives as people. We don't really have the commitment to the Lord like Mary seems to have. She's, again, the one who sat at Jesus' feet and learned from him. I have an idea here. I have an idea that Mary, because she sat at Jesus' feet, knew him perhaps better than Martha or Lazarus or even the disciples. It's a question as to whether she understood the significance of of the anointment. Jesus mentions that the ointment was there. Verse 8, She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Now Jesus taught this. I don't have the references at hand, but uh, there are many times in the last even few weeks now, he's only, you know, had the short three, four minute years of ministry, but he already prophesied to his disciples that he was going to be crucified. The disciples didn't seem to catch it. And so they're even asking, when will you set up the kingdom? Is it possible that Mary was so intimate, so close to the Lord, so devoted to him that she knew about these prophecies and knew that he was going to be crucified? And so she's anointing him for that purpose. Whether she knows that or not, Jesus is for sure pulling that out and saying she's doing this because of my burial in preparation. Doing it aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. It's a sort of a picture. That's what you do with a, a body that's dead. You anoint it, which will happen to the Lord. So, she, her love was questioned and murmured against. And the Lord defends her. Verse number 6, Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. So now we find that Mary's love was a good and lovely thing. Her love was selfless and costly. It was questioned and murmured against. And thirdly, Mary's love was a good and lovely thing. Our values of what is good. Oh, that's a good thing. Well, is it? Sometimes our values placed on what is good and what is not good are, are distorted. And these folks that are complaining, Judas being one of them, had uh, misplaced values. They're complaining against Mary 
that she had misplaced values. But whose values were misplaced? It was the complainers. And generally, when we have somebody who is willing to serve the Lord, to make that commitment, to give a selfless and, and sometimes costly sacrifice to the Lord, those who are not willing to do that will criticize and murmur against that individual. And so the Lord says, this is a good thing that she is doing. She hath wrought a good work on me, something that should be done. Perhaps he's saying to them, this is something that you should have thought of doing. Mary's driven by her love for the Lord and her willingness and desire to express her faith in the Lord and her love for the Lord. I think we can probably say that the most significant person in Mary's life was the Lord. She probably looked forward to the times when the Lord came to her house and she could sit at his feet and learn from him. Do we have that kind of desire to know the Lord? That type of love and sacrifice? Now the Bible admonishes us to do good works, right? In the reference to the seven churches there in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, Jesus prefaces, well, after he introduces himself, he says, I know thy works. So God is interested in our works, uh, the good works that we do. Part of the problem with liberal Christianity is that there's an emphasis upon the good works. Well, I, if I'm a Christian, I need to do works, or I need to do good works in order to be a Christian. To be saved, that's putting the cart before the horse. You don't do good things to become a Christian. You do good things because you are a Christian. And then, of course, Christians are often criticized because they're not doing good works. They're doing bad works or selfish works instead of selfless works. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And seeing the good works, Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So God is interested in good works, good things. The people here that are complaining thought that the good work or the better work would have been to sell this expensive ointment, take the money, and give it to the poor. So they thought the good work was helping the poor. Now Jesus isn't dismissing that, right? He says in verse 7, For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. So that's a good thing, to help the poor. The Bible admonishes us to do that. If we have the means to do it and all that sort of thing, help the poor. But he said, but me ye have not always. Again, it's going back to that prophetic thing. He is about to lose his life on the cross, and he's going to go away. He has been teaching his disciples that. I think, that's my personal opinion, that Mary already caught that, realized it before. Wasn't she the one? There's several Marys in the Bible, so I have to check and see which one it was. Wasn't she the one that went to the grave site, uh, to the burial site, and came back, and uh, the disciples didn't believe her? So if she knew about the death of Christ, she also knew about the resurrection of Christ say she was close to the Lord. Sometimes we don't know things because we're on the fringe. We're sort of on the, not really on the outside, but on the fringe. Mary was right there, sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
very close, very devoted, very intimate with the Lord. Now, there's another thing that Jesus recognizes about her, and that's the timing. That's kind of brought out there in verse number 7. He said, you have the poor with you always, but me, ye have not always. Mary's love, point number four, grasped the opportune time. Opportunity, we say things like this. Opportunity only knocks once. Well, maybe it knocks twice or three times or whatever, but opportunities come. Now, part of our job is to recognize those opportunities. And this was an opportunity for her to worship the Lord and to serve Him and to give Him that devotion. And so she grasped that opportunity to do that. Love does that. He's talking about his presence among the people. Isn't that what we get from the Old Testament? Moses said, Lord, I'll do it if you go with me, if you're there. Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your presence. The Old Testament characters wanted God's presence. And of course, we have many illusions of that in the Old Testament. The Ark of the Covenant was a picture of God's presence. The temple itself, right in the middle of the camp of Israel, or the tabernacle as it was erected, you know, put up and taken down as they moved from place to place, was right there in the middle of the uh, camp of Israel. And so the presence of God was something that was very clear in the thought and thinking of the Old Testament people. Mary picks up on that. She recognizes the presence of the Lord. And that's one of the things that Jesus is bringing out here And I think it's a sarcastic thing. Jesus is saying, this woman recognizes I'm not going to be here. You guys haven't caught on yet that I'm leaving, that I'm going to be crucified and buried and rise again. So he said, but me ye have not always. I'm sure some of them are saying, what do you mean by that? But she caught it. So she grasped the opportune time. Jesus even taught in chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We're taught in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, to redeem the time, because the days are evil. Time is of the essence. Time is short. Time is fleeting. Now is the day of salvation. And so there's opportune times. Our love for the Lord will help us to grasp on to those opportune times. And then, verse number 8, it says, She hath done what she could. Her love also, Mary's love, number 5, did all it could. She took all she had, uh, symbolizing by her precious ointment, sacrificed it to Jesus. In essence, she could do no more. She did what she could. Her heart reached out to the Lord in devotion and she acted sacrificially with that deep devotion. How much do we do that? We give him that cursory service or do we give him that which is symbolizing our love for him? She did what she could. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, Jesus taught us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust do not corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal. We have the tendency to lay up treasures on earth. In Mark chapter 8, verses 35 and 36, he talked about saving your life versus losing your life. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. 
For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Here's a woman who gave herself to the Lord. What are you doing? What am I doing for the Lord? And then, of course, Jesus is saying in verse 8, She hath done what she could. She is come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. And so the Lord is pointing toward his burial. I think it's another opportunity for the Lord to say to the disciples, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again. For them to catch that. Again, that's my feeling that Mary already grasped that fact, although some don't think that's the case, uh, that she would not have had that insight, but I think she did. That's just my personal opinion. Everybody around her was looking for Jesus to set up the kingdom and for him to overthrow the Roman government and whatever that might entail to set them free, which the Old Testament prophesied would happen. And that's going to happen in the millennium. That's still coming. But uh, we have the suffering servant Hurst. So she's really bearing witness, whether she's recognizing this or not, the Lord is pointing at it, that she's bearing witness to his death and burial and resurrection. We, on Wednesday night, we are studying, uh, we're doing sowing and reaping, and we're looking at the gospel, what it is. And there's three, what are we calling them? Three truths for the gospel, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection. And I think where we are in our notes, we're still talking about the death of Christ, and then we have a short little section on the burial of Christ. That's going to be important too, and we'll try to bring those thoughts out as we go through that study on Wednesday night. So, she hath anointed aforehand my body to the burying, looking forward to the cross. Now, what we do as Christians, Christ already died. So, when we worship the Lord, when we are devoted to Him, when we are committed to Him, we look back at the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is what we're supposed to be doing in the Lord's table observance. This do ye as often as ye do in remembrance of me, remembering his shed blood and his broken body. And so, the love of Mary, let me cover what we have so far. Mary's love was selfless and costly. Mary's love was questioned and murmured against. Mary's love was was a good and lovely thing. Mary's love grasped the opportune time. Mary's love did all it could. And then one more thing, Mary's love was rewarded. Verse 9, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. We're doing that tonight. We're memorializing what Mary did, this devotion that she has to the Lord. So Jesus is honoring Mary because she honored him. God blesses us when we bless him. So her deep love and faith in Christ, her sacrificial gift, her courage in proclaiming that love, so her strong love and faith for anointing Jesus, probably in a room full of men. Judas Iscariot there, others, the some that are mentioned in verse number 4, probably not a whole lot of women there, although there were many women who followed the Lord. But such devotion, such love that could not be allowed to fade from history. In closing, let me take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
verses 17 through 19. Here's a charge that Paul gave to Timothy. Assuming that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were rich. We don't know that for sure if they were, but assuming that would be the case, this would apply to them. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So Mary's love was rewarded. May we learn some lessons from Mary and her devotion to the Lord and be devoted like she was and sit at the feet of Jesus so we catch a glimpse of who he is and gain an understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. (laughs) 